Good morning. Welcome to the family gathering of Cultivate. Good to see you this morning. One or two new faces. That's also good. Welcome. Hope you enjoy your time with us this morning. My name is Pete. Most of you know that, right? Um, Jane's away, as uh, John mentioned. Uh, they've had a fairly difficult week, as you would expect, um, with uh, um, two funerals this week. One that Jay led and one that um, he was with because it was the death of Mandy's dad. So that was a, a tough time for them. But they had planned to go away to Florida and uh, they found a way to make that work. So they are probably just arriving there about now at the airport, uh, somewhere in South Florida, and hoping to have a good time um, with family down there and also in that uh, Disney place, which... Um, yeah, we all want to go, don't we? I know. We are in the middle of a three-part series that covers our three-part identity that we keep to as a church, as a family of disciples on mission. Three words, family, disciples, and mission. So as we, as we discover and we rediscover our identity in Christ, a shift happens, a radical shift happens that transforms us and then our relationships and the world. And um, as, um, as that happens, we become catalysts, change makers. So the title of our three-part series uh, this fall is called Catalysts. And this is really a, um, a series that we cover, or a topic that we cover um, probably around this time every year, okay? So Jay took us last week through our family identity and he made it clear to us that not only the church um, is like a family, but the church is a family. hope you remember that, those of you that were here. Um, and it's, just, it's not just a Sunday thing. It really is us and we become that identity. So this week we're looking at the second of those three identities, which is disciple. Some of you know my story. Um, I became a Christian in my first year of college when I was 18 years old. Uh, That was uh, under the ministry of uh, a group called the Navigators. Maybe some of you know them. Um, It's an American-founded parachurch discipling ministry, which uh, was very active at that time in UK universities. I'm not from around here. You know that, right? Good. Um, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you have, you can phone a friend, but they're right beside you. Don't bother to use the phone or ask, right? So the motto of the Navigators was to know Christ, to make him known, and to help others do the same. And disciple-making, disciple-making, one-on-one, was the foundation of their approach. Looking back, um, I can see how God arranged for me to be in that place and to meet those people at that time to discover my Savior, because that's what he does. He's about arranging that and pursuing us and bringing us into his kingdom. And as a new Christian uh, in that place, I, um, a friend, a student friend who was a couple of years older than me, older than me his name was Ray. Um, he passed away a while ago. Um, he came alongside me to teach me the way, to help me grow as a disciple. Um, and then four of us, including Ray and myself, shared a house for the next couple of years. And um, it was all about being disciple. We were growing as disciples together in that place. And... Ray, in turn, was being discipled by someone else who was connected to the organization. That was the way, that, that was the fundamental structure of discipling that uh, happened in that place. Everybody had a, a buddy, a mentor, if you like, who would be um, trying to help you become a better disciple, discipling you. There's a few verbs I think we're making up this morning. Discipling, discipled. I'm looking at Marie because she's the English teacher. <laughs> 
I don't know if they're really words or not, but we use them, right? <laughs> Thank you. Free reign. <laughs> Those years were foundational for me. Um, I came to know Christ. I picked up a huge amount of head knowledge. And I hope a good deal of heart knowledge too. Um, and really the direction of my life has fundamentally changed. There's, um, there's no denying that. It absolutely was fundamentally changed. And I can see clearly in retrospect how my heart shifted from to care more about God and to care more about people. I was a geek. Hey, maybe I'm still a geek. But to care more about people. Um, there were lots of ways that, uh, that I could describe how that happened, but I don't want to take a load of time on that. But definitely I was changed. And those early days were marked by a lot of intensity, determination, and discipline. Um, there really wasn't many places to hide if you're living with three other guys in one house in a discipling relationship. It's, there's, there's nowhere really to go. And, of course, we were students, so we were used to the idea of studying, to learn, to excel, to pass exams. You know, they were all in our wheelhouse. That's kind of the way that life was at that time for us. And we pursued Christ in a similar manner. Um, that's, that's the way we were thinking. You might say we're in a quest to become highly graded disciples oh, or super disciples. There's a horrible term, right? Um, You'll come to see my views on that in a while, but that's the way it was at that time. So I have a question for you. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I find when I ask people that question, there's a kind of a reticence. It's like, well, I'd like to think that maybe I am, but do I really? Am I enough? How does the title Disciple of Jesus Christ sit with you? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Um, scary, perhaps? Some scary? Threatening? Does, it implies demands, maybe, that you can't meet. It's a concern. Um, a challenge? A challenge is one more than you want to face. You have enough challenges? Well, some of you are nodding your heads. It's certainly the way it makes me feel. Um, if you put that question to me, my first thought is, I don't think I'm good enough. Uh, I try half the days of the week. You know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the way it feels when, when that comes to me. And I'm English, so who knows. Um, disciple. Same root as the word discipline. That, that's a problem right there, right? That's a problem right there. It's like, oh, oh, discipline hurts. It's okay for kids, right? But adults, we say we're disciplined, but we're just trying to pretend to the kids we're disciplined. So they'll be disciplined, and then they figure it out, and then we're in real trouble, right? Last week, last week we talked about family. And family, to me, is warm. But disciple seems threatening. Too much pressure. So, disciple means learner, right? When you hear the word disciple, do you hear um, pupil, student, comes into your mind. Study, exams, grades... Apprentice, I'm coming to in a minute. You're cheating. <laughs> James does like the heckle, doesn't he? Right? Um, some people have the thought of soldier, army, blind obedience. I think maybe for some of us it even feels like slave. Or perhaps it feels like child parent. It's back to family. It's um, I'm a child, I'm learning. So, we're going to come to apprentice in a minute, James. I think that's a good word. I was going to start with the uh, definition that we normally use 
in this place. So for us, we have three fundamental identities. Disciple is one of them. So when we talk about it, we typically use the same definition, and it's this one. We are disciples, followers of Jesus who increasingly learn to listen, believe, and obey him in every area of life, and who lead others to do the same. All right? So we're followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, this identity matches most closely uh, to God the Son, to Jesus. And we increasingly learn to listen, believe, obey. You may remember from, uh, from previous times we talk about this, head, heart, hands. Do you remember that? Some of you remember it. <laughs> listen, believe, obey. Right? Listen, I guess it might be here. <laughs> believe, obey. As followers of Jesus. That's generally the way that uh, we define this. So the definition is solid. Um, but I think it might be missing something. going to come to that in a minute. To me, there's something demanding and life-sapping in there, which is not the way it's supposed to be, and it's not the way the Spirit works, and that may just be because I need help. We'll see. Here's another another quote. Um, This is from Eugene Peterson, author of the message. He passed away last month, if you remember. He says this. James will like this one. Disciples are people who spend our lives apprenticed to our master, Jesus Christ. We are in a growing relationship always. A disciple is a learner, but not in the academic setting of a schoolroom, rather at the work of a work site of a craftsman. We do not acquire information about God, but skills in faith. So that brings us to that word, apprentice, which... Um, I certainly like. It's softer. Um, it's practical, less studious. Um, and it helps us to understand that we're learning a craft. We're learning skills rather than just increasing in knowledge. And um, that it's more about a deeply relational experience, being a disciple. It's not a teacher-pupil-classroom type of one. We're an apprentice to a craftsman, right? So I'm going to make you talk in a minute. Are you ready? We, we dialogue here sometimes. Um, my question for you is, how do we grow as disciples? Or what helps you to grow as a disciple? Or what are the ingredients we need to make this cake? Any ideas? How do we grow as disciples? Watching other people I heard? I guess my ears aren't that good. Sorry? Yeah. Learning by watching others is good. Yep. Instructions. Where, where might we get those? In the Bible. Okay. The Bible is important to a disciple, right? Others, yes? That relationship thing is very important. Yeah, that's, that's good. Other things that we do to grow, that help us grow? Stay close to the master craftsman. The apprentice is being very attentive. That's good. So... Yeah, so being in a group of people, not just being on your own, not just being isolated, not trying to do it in an isolated manner, but there's people around you. That's good. Yeah? That's good. Yeah. You learn how to parent when you start parenting, don't you? <laughs> you kind of learn quick. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. I think prayer is connected to that as well. 
Yeah, prayer is very important. All right. That's some good ideas there. Um, I'm going to take a few of those and talk about them in a little bit more depth um, to, uh, to try and bring out uh, what God wants for us in those and why they help. So starting at the, at the obvious one, I think, which is the word of God, um, Jesus said to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that that was fundamental to life. So his words need to be part of us, and we know that God's word is precious, whether it comes from the Bible or from the Holy Spirit speaking to us in some other way. So Paul wrote uh, to Timothy, uh, he wrote this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm using mostly ESV this morning, by the way, so if you're using the Bibles in the chairs, it'll say something slightly different. So in this verse, you see that Scripture is God-breathed, um, in coming by the inspiration of God, and there's those four verbs in there, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, showing the, the path telling you when you depart from it, showing you the way back, and training you in the way. I like to think of it this way. So you have a flashlight, shows you the road. Then if you veer off, there's the ditch, which stops you going too far off, right? That's the reproof. And then there's, let's call it a winch, that gets you back on the road, right? Um, Which is correction. And then there's the training in righteousness. I like to think of those as the training wheels. So they keep you straight (laughs) next time, right? Kind of keep you on the path. I think that verse is kind of bringing out those, those ideas. Psalm 119 talks a lot about the word of God. One verse says, I have laid up, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it's not just head, but it's heart, right? We need to be immersed in his word and so that it's often in our thoughts. It's in our hearts. It's protecting our way. So it informs our actions, um, instruction, warning, guidance. Is God's word getting into your heart? We have to ponder that sometimes. Is God's word getting into our hearts? Are we allowing that to happen? Are we exposing ourselves appropriately for that to happen? I'm still following the Cultivate reading plan, which is a new thing we did this year. Um, Gary's not with us today because he and I are always one week ahead because we're stupid disciples. No, sorry. Um, (laughs) We're always one week ahead. Um, I read John 17 uh, this week, and it says, This is Jesus praying, Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. Sanctify means cleanse or consecrate or purify. So that's what God's word is doing for us. And we become rooted in the truth. Uh, it's Nowadays we hear that the truth is relative and it depends on your point of view. If you believe that, you're going to be disputing with Jesus because he said truth is absolute. Thy word is truth. We are cleansed from the lies that we create, the worldly agendas, the things around us. We see the truth as we expose it, expose ourselves to the word of God. Jesus said, you will know the truth, right? And the truth will set you free. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's in Hebrews. 
So it reveals truth. It exposes deceit. And it exposes hidden agendas. It points to the lies that we're fed through the TV and the stuff around us, whatever we see. Okay? And Paul, Paul exhorts us uh, in Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And there's a similar passage in Ephesians, um, except he uses the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. I think that uh, there's a very strong link between those two things, and that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are really two sides of, of the same coin. They're linked and they're intertwined, and every Word of God is precious. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, right? The Word of God is fundamental to us. Well, what different ways can you think of of being immersed in God's word? How do you do that? Are there different ways? Reading. It's pretty obvious, right? So we read the word of God. Um, we have a reading program right now. So what was that? Memorizing. Memorizing. See? Have you, you all memorized scripture then. Okay, that's that's when the disciple discipline bit gets at you, isn't it? You start saying, oh, I need to memorize some scripture. I think it's really, really good to do that. Um, but it's not for everybody. I know some people find that hard. Um, using the word of God devotionally is something I know many of you do, which is to take maybe a smaller passage and to ponder on it and to meditate over it and to pray over it. Um, I know many of you do that. It's something we should all really be doing is, is that devotional time to, to draw closer to God in, in that uh, relationship. Do any of you use a devotional guide like um, Our Daily Bread or something like that? Do any of you use that? Yeah, one, two. Yeah, some of you do. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so um, there are um, books that will lead you through that and give you thoughts if you want, or you can just take a passage of scripture and work through it, probably not a chapter at a time, a little slower than that, and, and take time to meditate and ponder on it. So to grow as Christ's disciple, we immerse ourselves in God's word, his truth. Let's take another. Prayer. Prayer is a fundamental part of growing as a disciple. Taking time to converse with God and moment by moment talking with God. Someone asked me recently if I pray every day. How would you answer that? Do you pray every day? The problem I have with the question is it's the wrong question. It's like, but do you, you mean do I get on my knees and do this every day? No. But I pray, Mah, I don't know, now. <laughs> pray <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, so really the question encapsulates a misconception, right? Prayer, is prayer a discipline? Is it a sacrifice? Isn't it just a way of life? Um, if you're sure God is there and he cares about you, how can you not pray? How can you not pray? One of my funnest examples, that's not a word. <laughs> One of my funnest examples, because I have three. <laughs> Sorry. One of my funnest examples of prayer in the Bible is, uh, is Nehemiah. I've got to get the pronunciations good. Nehemiah, when he's talking to King Artaxerxes. Is that good? Good. All right, that's how I say it. Um, Nehemiah knew he could be in deep trouble for his behavior. By deep, I mean <coughs> trouble. And he knew he had a big ask. And the verse says this, Then the king said to me, "Why? What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, and off he went. I don't think he kept the king waiting while he prayed. 
That was an instant prayer, wasn't it? So prayer is all the time in a relationship with Jesus. Pray without ceasing, it says in Thessalonians. You'll find it plenty of other places too. Be constant in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In one way, prayer is a constant dialogue with our Father in heaven, right? That's one look at prayer, at least. Sometimes we do come together to pray, right? We have group prayer. Um, we've been experimenting, uh, and I, we will this morning with Aaron's help, um, with listening prayer. That was new to some of us. Listening prayer. So we spent a bit of time just allowing God to speak to us in the quiet rather than us always spouting words and telling him what we think. And uh, God speaks when you're listening. You'll be surprised. You should try it more. Group Group prayer is important. Our Father wants us to pray together and to be agreed in prayer, right? Um, there's a verse, uh, Jesus' words in Matthew. If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And how often have you been blessed in terms of growing as a disciple by the prayers of someone else? I can tell you, I have many, many times experiencing their relationship with God and their perception of the heart of the Father in the current situation that you're praying about. Praying over the word, we said, is another thing to do, um, which perhaps we do in in context of uh, devotional time. Um, Praise, thanksgiving, confession, as well as just requesting. These are all important things in prayer. So to grow as Christ's disciple, we are constant in prayer. Ruth mentioned the next one. In Proverbs it says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man, I'm going to add or woman, sharpens another. Or as we prefer, prefer to state uh, when we're in college, we prefer to state the corollary, which went, you won't find this in Proverbs, bananas don't sharpen bananas. Huh? <laughs> so if you're a squidgy mess, and you're not much help to the squidgy messes around you, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You need others to help challenge and encourage you. God meant it that way. You need accountability. You need someone to check up on you and hold you to the best, to God's best, to counsel you, to spur you on. Isolation, which is what some of us choose, may be good or safe, but it's not good, right? It's not good for us. Maybe safe. If you don't have the type of relationship in your life Um, which is about accountability, then you need to reassess who you're spending your time with and and think through that. Because we can all sink into whatever's comfortable, especially once we're isolated. Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. The the community that can give you this is full of the love of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. They take time to know you, to know your story, to stand beside you in the ups and downs. And... It's also not just about being in a community with people like you. Um, a community should be our cultivate family, as we talked about last week, is a mixture. It's all of us. It's old and young, new and experienced, sharing our perspectives, um, helping each other to, 
to move forwards and spurring each other on, iron to sharpen others. We all have that. We all have that opportunity. And note in this verse too that there is no negativity or criticism included. Even if we claim we were just speaking the truth in love, right? Be very careful with that. Positive words are much more likely to fuel a change of behavior than negative ones. Try that with your kids. So to grow as Christ's disciple, we are committed to community. We've got space for one more there. Um, and Keith mentioned it. Disciples aren't only about being disciples. They're about being disciple makers. They're sharing the gospel with others. They are making more disciples. So Jamie reminded us last week of um, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Some of you will have memorized this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus speaking the end of his time on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's very familiar, right? Making disciples is the commission, not being a disciple. Making disciples is the commission. And one of the marks of a disciple is he's reproducing other disciples. When Jesus called his disciples, it was clear they were not just going to be learners, but they were going to be making disciples, right? While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many men and women have you fished? Looking at discipleship that way can be sobering, can't it? Tough question. The commission doesn't say, Go and find converts and make them disciples. Either, does it? It, In fact, it says baptize them, which implies that they come to believe in Christ and then we teach them the way. So disciple-making starts where evangelism starts. Even before somebody has heard the gospel or responded at least to the gospel is where discipling starts. When that person begins that journey. And, you know, that is consistent with the story of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, right? The more we look, the more we see how God's Spirit is working way before we even realize what the issues were and what was going on. I'm going to come back to that one. Um, The Spirit was involved with us, with you, Before you were born, right? Read this in in Psalm 139. They put it up there. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's how early the Holy Spirit was involved in your life. Before you were born. So the work of the Spirit is a glorious mystery. Um, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, The wind blows where it, will, where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit blows where he wishes. You can't tell where he's going, but you can see his breath, Right? One of the greatest catalysts to growth as a disciple is the responsibility of discipling someone else. 
of sharing the good news with them, of leading them to faith and helping them grow in Christ-likeness and their understanding of that faith. And if you've not had the blessing um, to, to follow somebody on that whole journey, you probably still have the experience of how challenging and encouraging it is to have somebody around you who is fresh in the faith, who is full of questions, who is full of wonder, who wants to understand more and know more. I know as adults, we shun the idea of somebody discipling us. But we should seek out those relationships. We should seek them out. Relationships that are about discipling or being discipled. We need them. Who do you look to for one-on-one help? Do you have someone? Who knows you well enough to provide counsel and keep you accountable? Who do you look to spend time with so that Christ may grow in you and in them? So to grow as Christ's disciple... We are actively discipling others. All right. So all the above are helpful, and I've ticked them for you. But you can do them all and still miss the most important point. The danger is that we make discipleship a discipline. And really it's much more than that because discipleship is not an adherence to a set of rules and best practices. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is being in a growing relationship with him. Skills in faith come as that relationship matures. And we're not about being as good as the master. We're not going to become the same craftsman but we're getting to follow him better. To be in the word and in prayer is helpful, um, but it's about a growing relationship with Jesus. There's a, a verse in Galatians I'll read to you. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have died to the old. We are crucified with Christ. We have a new life with Christ in us. So we experience his love and his gift of grace and we are devoted, dedicated to him to make Christ the center of our lives, of our decisions, our aspirations, our dreams. And we obey his commandments because of his love. And then we love because the greatest commandment was to love God and to love each other. If we, if we dedicate ourselves to study and community and to each other, but not to him, we've missed the point. The tail is wagging the dog because it's all about him. The older I get, the more I realize that God does not need my superpowers. I know, it assumes I have some, I understand. God does not need my superpowers. He doesn't need me to excel as a super disciple. He just needs me to trust him. I've been learning that for 40 odd years and I'm still learning it. Doesn't seem to sink in. Is it here? I don't know. But the older I get, the more I realize that. Let's go Back to the disciple definition from from Eugene Peterson. We talked about a disciple being apprentice to a craftsman. How does a craftsman learn his craft? I think we had it earlier. The, The apprentice watches the craftsman. How can you do that? 
The apprentice watches the craftsman. The original disciples were able to watch Jesus. But, you know, we get to watch the work of the Spirit in us and people around us. My favorite new question to myself and to you, sorry if you've heard it too many times, is what is God up to? And it's not just a question, it's an exclamation. It's, what is God up to? It's, because you look at it and you think, wow, go figure. <laughs> um, let's start with our brother Bob, who passed away. Bill's here. Bob, we went to Bob's funeral on Monday. Earlier this year, I think um, Bob came into our church with his friend, Bill. Um, Bob is thirsting for God. We can all see it. He's full of questions. He brings his grandkids along. John is here today. Um, he's questions, questions, questions. He's questions in the middle of sermons. Jay! <laughs> I just have this question. Great. He can't get enough of God. What is God up to? He comes to, to our community group one week. We hear his story. We hear about deep pain in his family. Um, we lay hands on him. We pray for him that night. Um, he asked to be baptized. We made sure he understood what that meant. Um, and we baptized him here by total immersion at Easter. And he is beaming with new life, right? He's beaming with it. What is God up to? Then he becomes unwell. And he's diagnosed with stage four cancer. That was a huge surprise to us, but not to God. He knew that. What is the master? Finally, last week, he passed. Now, we know where he went because we saw what God was doing in him. John's not here this morning. There's a guy who's been sitting over here. hope you won't mind me mentioning his name. Um... He starts coming. I can see God is up to something in him. He knows it too. Something is going on. He can feel the spirit tugging at him. And then very recently we discover that John and Bob were the best of friends. They grew up together. And we never knew it. They were never even here at the same time. Go figure. What is God up to? Right? Monday was Bob's funeral. Lots of family, friends, many people, standing room only. Catholic service, but Jay is allowed to speak. Everybody heard about what Bob found on Easter Sunday and about Jesus. And probably they heard how much a church family can be different to their prior experience. And we begin to see that God is at work in that family too. That others have been touched. That there's other things going on. What is the master up to? Be amazed. God is at work. Um, John and I were talking on Monday at the funeral, wondering what we do next. And I thought, "Ah, God is at work. Our job is to watch. (laughs) He'll tell us. Our job is to watch. We just need to be astonished at what God is up to and live by faith in the Son of God. Some of you will recall I brought an unexpected visitor about two Sundays ago. She was very quiet. She had an accent that made me sound very New Jersey. (laughs) She was Glaswegian. She stayed with us for a weekend and was touring East Coast cities. I don't want to discuss the backstory. It would be wrong to do that um, without her here. That's for her. But I feel God is pursuing that person with never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the Jesus storybook paraphrase, right? But it matches my experience pretty well. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Love, and I watch and I stand amazed. What is God up to?
It's a privilege to be able to watch the master at work, right? A privilege to just be able to watch, to see how God pursues people. When I get a glimpse of what God is up to, here's the way I see our part. We're like the kids with the plastic hammer trying to help his dad renovate the house. Do you ever feel like that? It's like, I feel like sometimes he he lets us think we're helping, but he's doing it anyway. It's like, wow. (laughs) You know, all of our plans don't go there. How do we get there? We think we do stuff. God does stuff. We watch in awe. Opening our eyes and watching God at work needs to be an attitude and a posture for us. Our discipleship definition says, listen, believe, obey. I think I want to add watch. Because when you start to do that and you see how the Spirit is moving in and around what he lets you see, it's just amazing. We're we're not trying to become God replacements, right? Discipleship is important, but that's not where we're going. We want to become God's tools that he can wield. All right, one more question I have just to try and hit briefly. How do we pursue discipleship together? more and more in the coming year. As we spend these three weeks talking about our identity, that's a question we have to be asking ourselves. What is next, God? Where do you want us to go? How can we help each other get the word of God in our hearts? Who's still doing the reading program? Who feels they failed because they didn't stick with the reading program? <laughs> That's the problem with the program. How helpful did you find it? Were there any negatives? I'm still doing it because I'm the numbers guy, right? You give me a number, tell me how many steps I've walked in a day, and I'm going to walk those steps again tomorrow. I'm determined. But it's all about numbers. It's not about a relationship. Uh. We're considering doing something next year was a little bit different than a reading program, something with less volume and is more devotional. So we're kind of sharing a devotion together, um, more meditative, perhaps with the opportunity for us to dialogue together on the realm or somewhere else about what we're learning from that, Um, to try and change it from a race to keep to a plan to us exploring God together in a more devotional fashion. Still thinking that through, but give me feedback later if you want. That would be fine. How can we encourage each other in prayer? Well, we already have a Sunday morning 9 a.m. prayer time. Um, Do come down to the library um, if you want to share prayer for half an hour. It's it's not threatening. Really, you can sit and be quiet if you want. Um, But it would be great to make that a larger gathering. We started uh, our listening prayer times, um, which I think are an important thing for us to grow in prayer. And group prayer is important for us and and that's the focus of our communities. When we're seeking out times to pray together, then we know we have a community in which our dependency is firmly in God, right? When we're seeking out those times. How about our commitment to community? That links strongly to our family identity. Jane used a phrase last week. It was at the end after a long time. So you, you wouldn't have caught it. I didn't either. Regionally clustered, intergenerational, gospel-centered groups that are inclusive of not yet believers. I should have put that on a slide. Regionally clustered, intergenerational, 
gospel-centered groups that are inclusive of not yet believers. That's what we're trying to move towards. We're hoping to increase the amount of time that we're able to spend with each other, to better leverage the gifts and experiences of a strong cross-section in each group, um, get better at sharing what God is doing amongst us, and be inclusive to allow others to learn. I hate the word intentional. You know that, right? It's way overused, but I think we need to be more intentional about actively discipling others and being discipled. That's what I want to leave that with you this morning, that we actively pursue that together. So if you want to be more intentionally discipled, if you feel the desire to have a a mentor, a coach, that you don't see in your life right now, ask, speak, approach me, approach Jay, approach a friend, ask, so that we can be what we need to be for each other, that we may grow together in Christ. There's a time in um, the Gospels where John relates in uh, John chapter 6, where many disciples found his teaching hard. The path was hard. Um, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, Jesus said. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's telling them he's giving them his flesh. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm with Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What a privilege it is to be called his disciples. He is the light in the darkness. He is the bread of heaven, the living water. He is the one who brings life and hope and freedom. And we get to see him work. Your kingdom come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be your disciples and to make disciples. Thank you, Lord, that you are master, that you are Lord of all, that you are the light, that you are the bread of heaven, that you are the living water. Thank you that you bring us life. Forgive us for thinking that we can do it ourselves. (laughs) Let us see our plastic hammers, Lord, as they really are. Let us be those who are immersed in your word, constant in prayer, committed to each other, making disciples as you have commanded, and in closer and closer relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.